Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 9, Episode 19. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Darkly Gathers, about bestial basements, grisly graveyards, wicked woodlands, and celestial chases. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail... So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> What's the weirdest place in your neighborhood? 
the abandoned house at the end of the street, an old park where lights don't work half the time, a video store that's still somehow open. Whatever it is, it's probably a place that people say never go into, but for one reason or another, young people keep finding themselves going in and exploring. But some places have their reasons for not going in. Darkly Gathers brings us the first tale of the evening, in which two luckless visitors find out some basements are best left alone. Without further ado, I present to you Crocodile House. The Crocodile House stands alone in the scrubland, old, abandoned, and overgrown. And I use the term stands in the loosest possible sense. It must have been a grand place once, but the building is now a dilapidated wreck. The council put some fences up around it a while back, but some kids brought the fence down, and the committee never bothered to put it back up, and now it lays uselessly on the ground, covered mainly by creeping dry grass and weeds. Emma turns to look at me, and she grins. You ready to go inside? I say nothing. I've been to the Crocodile House before, but only as part of a large group and never this late in the day. I glance to the horizon. The sun hovers low and red and shimmering above the far hills. Come on, Will. Don't be a puss. Emma teases. I force a laugh. <laughs> Fine. Ladies first, then. And then I gesture her onwards. She flashes me another smile, steps from the road, and onto the scrub bush, walking around the edge of the fence perimeter to the fallen section. She steps up and onto it with a dull metal clank and looks back to see if I'm going to follow. I do, of course. She's a lady, after all. She waits until I'm alongside her, then we walk the length of the front lawn together, though there's little, if anything, actually lawn-like about it anymore. Dead, dry, brown grass and overgrown thickets of ferns and weeds cover the path. Strange, prickly purple flowers brush warningly against my legs as we push forwards toward the front door. Emma grabs a handle and opens it up with a creak, and I'm half expecting the entire house to collapse as she does so. It doesn't, thankfully, and we step inside. The windows have grimed over, and the only light comes through gaps and holes in the walls and ceiling as narrow, glowing beams, beams filled with floating specks of dust and cast through our lines of sight. We walk through them and look around. It's much the same in appearance as it was the last time I was there. A little more graffiti, maybe. The stairs to the upper floor have broken and collapsed away, along with much of the upper floor itself. The walls are cracked and chipped, and the floorboards are buried beneath thick layers of heavy dust. Our surroundings are a picture of disarray and destruction. The halls and rooms were largely cleared of furniture, except for a few broken old shelves and cupboards. Our footsteps echoed around the house. I come to a stop, standing at the doorway to a long and shadowed room. 
Emma leaves my side to check out a nearby corridor, and I listen to her creaking footsteps against the floor as I look down the length of the room. A painting hangs at the far end, smeared in grime, but still quite clear. I've seen it before, but compulsion bids me to go for another close look. I tap on my phone's flashlight and walk between the room's narrow walls, wondering what such a room would have been used for in its prime. I come to a stop at the far end and raise the flashlight. The painting depicts a family of four and their faces all blurred into formless spirals. This is a feature of the painting, I should add. Aside from dust and grime, the picture itself remains largely unvandalized. By my guess, the family is sitting together on a couch in a relatively modern room. 80s or 90s are at the core. The wall behind this couch is streaked with blood, and the open doorway to the right reveals a large and low shadowy shape creeping through the corridor. It's the lower half of a crocodile, surely. It could be nothing else. Creepy. Murmurs a voice in my ear, and I shout out in alarm. Emma laughs to herself as she enjoys my reaction and turns to look up at the painting. What kind of people used to live here, do you think? I try to settle my nerves and turn away so that she doesn't see my red face. Freaks, probably. If they were into stuff like this, I reply. You think this is weird, she asks me, eyes glinting as she looks directly at me. You ain't seen nothing. You want to know why they call this the Crocodile House? It's because of the paintings, right? It must be. She shakes her head and grabs my hand. Nope. Will you see what I have to show you? She starts to drag me back through the room. I allow myself one more glance over my shoulder at the disturbing painting, watching it grow smaller and smaller as I'm led away, and eventually through the door and around the corner. She leads me to a part of the house I've never been to before, into a room that ends in a set of dark, descending stairs down into the dusty gloom below. I hesitate, and we come to a stop. Emma, look, I'm not sure about this. It's probably not, you know, not, not safe down there. I've been down loads of time. Come on, don't you want to go down with me? She asks, gently squeezing and stroking my hand as she speaks. <sighs> I'm only human, so yeah, naturally, I'm going to go down. Fine, I reply, but if I die, I'm coming back as a ghost to haunt you. <laughs> Fine by me, she chirps, and she leads me to the top of the stairs, turning her flashlight on, too. We shine them down into the dark. It's a little lighter at the bottom. There's a ceiling window, she says, but she's quieter now. We begin our descent. The stairs creak and the air becomes thicker with every step. We creep down into the depths of the house. We reach the bottom and around a corner of fallen beams and rotted wood. My heart beats fast and I'm a little worried that Emma can feel it in my pulse through my hand. I'm half expecting some horror to appear from out of some dark corner at any second. But we remain undisturbed. Down another long hall, and at the end of it, sure enough, is a little murky light shining red through the long and thin window around the top of the room. 
It'll be right at the level of the grass outside, I should think. And we haven't even reached the bottom. There's another set of stairs in here, this time in the room's very center and made of grim iron. They lead down through a hole in the floor, right in the middle of the floor. The design is bizarre as hell. A crude crocodile was sketched on the wall in white and green chalk. However, aside from this scrawling, the room's empty. One more to go, Emma whispers, and while I'm sure she didn't mean it, the way she speaks gives me the chills. So down we go. Our feet clanged against the metal as we descended the stairs to yet another room, deeper still. I let go of Emma's hand so I could grip the rail. The steps are narrow, and they spiral round and round. I lift my gaze from the steps, and my eyes adjust to the dim red light. What the hell? I shout suddenly in alarm, stumbling where I stand. I raise my phone, and the flashlight illuminates slightly clearer the focus of my attention. Down there, at the very bottom. Emma laughs. <laughs> Chill. This is what I wanted to show you. This is the real reason this place is called the Crocodile House. She continues her descent, feet loud on the metal. I stare for a moment longer, open mouth, and my senses heighten before I continue. What kind of place is this? I follow her down and step finally onto the lowermost floor. The room's pretty wide, much wider than the one above it. At least... This seems bizarrely to be the best-preserved room in the entire house. The wallpapers peeled with clusters of black mold, but it remains mostly intact. It's a rusty reddish-brown and is covered by old maps, some in chipped and cracked glass frames, some simply tacked into the plaster. These are curled and torn. The maps are of Africa, regions of Australia and places I don't recognize. One of the walls is covered in shells, with most of them still standing. Stacks full of thick and ancient books. One of these shelves has a collection of taxidermied birds perched across the top. A couple of hawks and what I think is a toucan. They stare at us, silent and judging. There's another painting hung on the wall, in the same style as the one upstairs. This one depicts the silhouette of a crocodile swimming beneath a group of faceless families in a public pool. Who would paint something like that? Who would buy it and hang it on a wall? The painting and the birds, it's all unsettling. But they pale in comparison to the room's centerpiece, the thing that caught my attention on the stairs. Directly ahead, at the far side of the room, is an enormous water feature. At least, it could have been a water feature once. Now it's just a silent and stagnant pool, filled to the brim with murky green scum water. It's about seven, maybe seven and a half feet across, but I have no idea how long it is. It leads away, straight ahead, through an arched tunnel in the wall and into the far distance in the dark. But this pool, this, this thing, whatever it is, it's filled with a terrifyingly lifelike statue of crocodiles. It could be genuine for all I know. Still, some have their jaws open and heads above the water. 
Some have their upper bodies slightly raised, using their claws frozen in place as they clamor over one of their brothers. The shadowy shapes of some of the reptile statues are visible just below the surface. I don't know how deep the water goes, nor do I know how many might be there. Statues, they must be. I'm sure of it. If they were taxidermied like the birds, then surely by now they would have rotted away. A flash of my phone reveals the disturbing crocodile replicas goes far back as I can see, far down into the tunnel, so there could be hundreds for all I know. Hundreds of silent, frozen reptiles, glassy eyes ever staring, ever watching. Jesus, Emma, what the hell is this place? I murmur, isn't it cool? She whispers back, walking right up to the edge of the pool and crouching down until she's eye-level with one of the crocodiles. She lightly taps its eye, a motion that makes me cringe. This is weird as hell. This whole house is whack. I tear my gaze from the unsettling pool and its silent inhabitants and start to walk the edge of the room, looking up at the shelves, the books, and the maps. Who would build a room like this? I look back over my shoulder to the crocodiles clustered together, filling the murky pool all life-size. Massive. Larger than you'd think, probably. I crane my neck to look up at the stuffed birds, shadowed and coated in dust. They watch over the room with a cold and uncertain menace, and despite the evening's warmth, I shiver. There's something wrong here. I can feel something, something impending. I don't know how else to describe it. Like the beat of a silent drum, I can feel an approach. But I don't want Emma to think I'm a coward, so I just keep circling the room. There are no doors, I realize, way later than I should have. The crocodiles occupied my mind, I guess. There are no ways in or out aside from the tunnel into their gloom and the iron staircase. I raise my phone and the flashlight lands on a message carved into the wall. Carefully carved, I should add. This doesn't look like any impromptu graffiti to me. It's written in large letters and reads as follows. If you read this message, then weep. For the protector of this place has long since departed. I suddenly become aware of my own breathing. Is that drum again? It's like I can feel it pounding through the floor. I imagine it, I know it, but it sounds like the march of something dreadful, some nightmare. Beneath the message is another, though a little smaller, and covered in a layer of grime. I swallow and use my sleeve to wipe it away. It reads, Tears for the Crocodiles. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. 
Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I decided I'd had enough of this place. I turn around to Emma and call her across the room. Hey, Emma, I'm done with this place. This is freaky as hell and it could be dangerous. Let's just... Let's just go back, I mean to say, but the words catch in my throat. From my position on the opposite side of the room, I'm staring right at Emma. Nothing obscures my view. The iron staircase that we descended, the one in the middle of the room, has vanished. I sprint to the center of the room and look up. The hole in the ceiling remains, but the staircase, the staircase is gone. Oh, Christ. Oh, no, 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 no. Emma, I murmur, but she doesn't respond. She's gone deathly pale and slowly retreats from the crocodile pool until she's next to me in the middle of the room. What the hell's happening? She whispers, but of course I can't answer. The sound of a shrill squawk bids us both jump in fright and turn to look up to the top of the nearest row of shelves. To my utter horror and disbelief, I see that the birds, the taxidermied birds, have decided that they've served their time down here in this room. Feathers shed from their bodies as they stretch their wings, and one by one, they step out over the edge, wings flapping as they rise up and out through the hole in the ceiling. One of the feathers drifts slowly and steadily down through the air and lands right by our feet. It's around here where we start to panic. I look from the birds to the statues of the crocodiles. Don't you dare! I shouted at them, raising a shaking fist in futile warning. Don't you dare! My heart's a hammer in my chest now. This is crazy. What the hell are we going to do? Emma, is there anything you're not telling me? I ask her, my voice quivering. For now, the crocodiles remain in place. But the water in which they reside has begun to bubble with the murk of throbs and ripples. To our terror, it starts to rise, overflowing the pool's borders and spilling out into the room and over the floor. Emma! I don't know, I don't know. This, I've never seen this happen before. This doesn't make any sense. The stairs. She looks up to the hole in the ceiling. Maybe we can use the shelves. Use them to climb back out? I don't think they're going to be tall enough, but it's worth a try. The room's begun to steadily fill with water, and the crocodiles watch through their cold and unblinking eyes. We splash through the green and murky water, struggling with the smallest of the shelves. It's a start, but even this is too heavy. We knock the books from their perches and into the water. We struggle with our movements. Come on, come on, I mutter, but with no time to coordinate, we end up pulling with force simultaneously and the entire apparatus tips sideways and crashes down to the floor. Or to the water, I should say. It's up to our knees already. Damn it! Well, what are you... What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? I don't know. I, I don't know. Just don't panic. This is what I get for being a simp. Our efforts are worthless. There's no way out. The water rises... There's no way out. 
The water rises to our waists now. I watch in terror as the last of the crocodiles disappears beneath the water's surface. There's no way to move anything now. The water is too deep. I hold one of the shelves steady as Emma tries to climb, but it's just too narrow and she makes little progress before stumbling and falling back into the murk with a splash. The entire room's a watery wreck now and we're forced to swim to keep ourselves above the surface. My feet no longer touch the bottom and the terrible, sickening sensation that we could be surrounded at this very moment plays havoc with my emotions. Surrounded by impossible and bloodthirsty reptiles, shadows in the water ready to drag us down to the depths at any second. Any second. I sputter and spit, grimacing with a moss-like taste. I glance to my right as the water level reaches the base of the painting. The painting of the families in the public pool with the crocodiles swimming beneath them. Only the picture has changed and the painted crocodile has vanished. Well, Emma screams and I grab her hand through the water. It's okay, it's okay. We're going to be carried up to the ceiling. We're going to be okay. And sure enough, we rise. We rise, but slowly. The water, which at first seemed to flow and rise with frustrating speed, now barely trickled. Time slows as we push out our arms and kick our legs to keep afloat, doing our best not to think of what could well be swimming right now beneath us. Reptilian shadows all around. Do I feel something cold scrape against my leg, or do I imagine it? What would I do if Emma suddenly disappeared from sight? If, with a final scream, she was dragged down into the murk below? Would I try to go after her? The hole approaches, and with a grunt of exertion, I throw an arm up, then another, and haul my soaking body up onto the hardwood floor of the room above. Emma screams my name, and I roll onto my front, grabbing her by the wrist to drag her up and out of the water. Together we run through the basement and around the dusty corridors, back up the shadowy stairs, and through the house. Finally, we're out and into the overgrown front lawn, panting and gasping, just as the sun completes its set behind the hills on the horizon. No one believes our story, of course. Kids have been back there since to test it out, but any rising water doesn't challenge them. There isn't even any water damage, and no one finds themselves trapped by any disappearing stairs. There is one thing, though. The crocodile statues have vanished, and whether this is good or bad, I could not say. I hope you enjoyed Crocodile House by author Darkly Gathers, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash darkly. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash D-A-R-K-L-Y. You'll mostly find him lurking around the Reddit landscape, but he might poke his head out there once in a while. You can even buy him a coffee if you'd like. If you do decide to stop by, please leave Darkly a kind word and let him know that you heard about him on this show. 
and that Otis Gyrie sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Now, for my money, I'm sure those crocodiles did come to life and went out into the countryside eating everything they saw. Of course, I also have money that the Terracotta Army in China will come to life and fight the crocodiles. Man can dream, can't he? But now that I think about it, those figures are supposed to be guarding a tomb, aren't they? And it's a large space covering a lot of ground. Sort of reminds me a bit of our second tale of the evening, courtesy of Darkly Gathers. We have two friends who find themselves in a bit of a predicament. Both stuck to each other and stuck, well, I guess somewhere is the best thing to call it. Let's hope you don't end up in a similar predicament. Might make you start to question some life choices. Without further ado, I present to you The Graveyard at the Edge of the Mist. Hey, what's the difference between a graveyard and a cemetery? What? Togs looked at me irritated. You heard me, pal. What's the difference between a graveyard and a cemetery? I grimace. I don't know, Togs. What is the difference between a graveyard and a cemetery? He grunts with frustration and jerks his arm. The chain that binds our wrists is pulled tight and I'd dragged over against my will. It's not a joke, Rufus, Togs says to me. It's not a setup. I'm asking you genuinely if you know, if you happen to know. Well, I don't. I replied, jerking my arm back with a rattle of the chain. I don't know what the difference is between a graveyard and a cemetery. So why don't you just go on and tell me? He chews his tongue, and he spits out under the wet grass. Ain't no fun, he mutters. A graveyard is a burial ground connected to a church. A cemetery ain't connected to nothing. It stands by itself. I wish I was a cemetery right now, I mutter. He shoves me. I heard that, Rufus. Rude bastard. I didn't ask to be chained to you any more than you asked to be chained to me. He wipes the rainwater off of his free hand and onto the prison jumpsuit, then pushes his fingers through his hair. But if this is a graveyard, then we'll find the church, and the priest will have to help us. We can appeal to his sense of justice and goodwill. Priest? Do Protestant churches have priests? He'll be a minister, surely. Priest, minister, whatever. Point is, he'll be sworn to secrecy. He can help us get away and, hey, maybe absolve us of our sins in the process. It's so difficult to see the world around us. The mist is thick, more fog-like, really. And it stretches far and unforgivingly in all directions, obscuring the hills where certain must lie beyond. We've been trekking through the grim, moonlit gray of the countryside moors for most of the night, and we're tired and cold and hungry. The rain is thin and quiet as it falls, but it's been drizzling steadily for hours now, and I know that both Togs and I could use a little reprieve. 
Even if the minister's not home, resting in an actual building would be nice. Hell, even under a tree. We haven't seen either for miles and miles and miles, and I have no idea where we are. There's no sign that we've even made any progress since settling out against the myriad of tumbled gravestones that now lie around us and the faint watchful shadows of the hills in the distance. I told you, Togs, I said to him, I don't have any sins to be absolved. I'm an innocent fellow, as you well know. He waves his free hand at me. Yeah, yeah, as you keep saying. If you're going to keep insisting you're innocent, well, I don't have the energy to discuss it with you anymore. Nothing to discuss, my man, I replied. I owed this escape. My freedom was taken away from me without my consent. Idiot jury and an idiot judge. Nothing more to be said. Hmm, Tog says, and he falls silent and quiet. We walk for a time in silence. The gravestones stretch on with no church in sight. How big is this place, I muse. I ain't never seen any graveyard as big as this, Togs replies. Graveyard or cemetery, I ask him. Neither. As the gravestones just keep going, the distance between them grows wider, and they become rougher, less clearly defined. The names inscribed upon the stone become illegible. The cracks deepen. Their ages are implied in the creeping crawl of the moss, and the shapes shapes of these markers of lives gone by. As we pass them, their forms become more and more obscure. Some of the gravestones are triangular or carved with intricate lightning-like lines. Some gravestones are no more than piles of gray rubble, wet and dark beneath the rain. Some of them reflect the moonlight like metal, and others appear to swallow the light altogether. How kind of place is this, Tugs? I murmur anxiously. My body has reacted to something I can't yet put my finger on, and my gut tells me something is wrong. Rufus, Rufus, check out that one. Tugs raises his hand to point, and my arm is raised beneath via the chain. I don't believe what I see at first, but there's no mistake. Tugs points to a tombstone that hovers above the grass round like a sphere. The rain flows all around it and converges at the bottom, where it trickles down like a little waterfall. Holy! We adjust our course and walk over to it, examining the thing from all sides. Tog even pushes on the thing, but the stone doesn't budge. It's fixed impossibly in place. And this curiosity, this bizarre anomaly, it's set my alarm bells a ring. This isn't right. I don't think we should be here at all. And I voice this concern to Tugs. Yeah, he mutters back, tapping his thumb against his broken nose and thought, This is freaky, Rufus. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. What do you reckon, pal? What should we do? I think we should just keep going. But, you know, faster? I can't see any church, and this place is massive. It could be a war memorial. Or something. I'm thinking. We could spend hours looking around and not find anything at all. And there's nothing for us back the way we came. 
Now, we should keep moving ahead. Maybe we'll find something, maybe not. But we'll be moving forwards. Tonight will be the hardest night, Togs. It'll only get easier from here. He seems to think it over. I wait for a response patiently. Not that I have much choice, however, given our predicament. The chain jingles softly. A lone bluebird appears from beyond the mist and settles on the zenith of the wet sphere. We look at it, and it looks back. At me, and at Togs. Curious time for a bird to be out and about. Togs gently moves his hand closer to the bird, and slowly sticks out one of his fingers. After a beat, the bluebird hops onto his finger to Togs' delight, cocking its head. Rufus, look! He beams, glancing up at me. I'm looking right at you, man. I see it. I see it. The bluebird perches for a moment longer. Then it opens its beak and whistles a low, low single note. It raises its wings and flies up and away into the fog. And as suddenly as it appeared, the bird's gone. The rain patters softly all around. All right, says Togs quietly. Let's keep moving. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The burial grounds stretch on. The tombstones don't return to their regularity, nor do we come across any hint that they might be soon coming to an end. I was lucky enough as a kid to visit France with my folks. They took me to the American World War II cemetery in Normandy. The scale of the place, the, the death, it made an impact on me, that's for sure. But this place is bigger by far. It, it must be. We walk and 
We walk, but still the graves keep coming. Togs keeps twitching and shooting looks over his shoulder. I don't blame him, but he's making me feel worse. I'm already on edge, but he's sharpening it. Many of the gravestones fail to connect to the ground now. Various shapes, spheres, cones, rectangles. One strikes up toward the sky like a dark obelisk. One sits half buried in an anomalous patch of wild grass, marble carved to the shape of a coffin. Another looks like an angel, man-sized, with four outstretched wings and a blindfold over its eyes. The rain leaks down its face as we approach the crest of a hill. Well, this is good, I whisper. We'll get a vantage point over what lies ahead, fog permitting. And it does, to an extent. We come to a stop at the hill's summit, and we look out over the plain, wet, grassy fields below. They drop into a wide valley before rising again toward another hill, one taller still at the opposite side. The sight is quickly lost to the silver gray of the moonlit mist, and it is filled, absolutely filled, with twisted graves. The spaces between them are wide, but they're everywhere. Lord have mercy, Togs whispers in a voice heavy with fear. Then he drops to his knees, dragging me down to a stop as he does so, clasping his hands together in prayer and muttering to himself under his breath. I push him lightly. What the hell are you doing, Togs? Are you going to tell me you've found God now? A little late for that, don't you think? Given all you've done. Haven't you read the Bible, Rufus? Togs replies, his eyes still closed. Ain't never too late for repentance. You'd be smart to do the same and all. I told you, I hiss. I've got nothing to repent. I'm innocent. Always have been. Togs doesn't reply. He only continues his prayer. And there's nothing I can do but wait. So I sit next to him and try to imagine my future life. A life in which I'm free. I'll have to escape the country, that's for sure. I might head to the islands, wait until I've been long forgotten and the state decides its funds are better directed elsewhere. I imagine myself in a little wooden boat, the sun warm on my skin, as I paddle leisurely across a sparkling stream to my new village. Maybe I'll help run it, or I could keep the people safe from outsiders. Maybe I could learn to fish. I shiver and wrap my free arm around my sodden chest. Icy water drips from the end of my nose. The air around me is thin and breezeless, but goosebumps ripple up my arms regardless. A rumble reverberates through the ground. I disregard it at first as a falsehood, an imagining of my mind, but the rumble comes again. Heavy. Togs, I muttered through clenched teeth. Prayer time's over, pal. We gotta keep moving. The rumbling grows more prominent. I can hear it as well as feel it now, too. Low, long thuds, echoing through the valley beyond. Togs! The man opens his eyes. We gotta go, man. Come on, get up. But Togs only stares ahead, wide-eyed, and I turn to follow his gaze. And, with the rumbles, a creature appears through the mist. I think it's a creature, at least. It looks like one, though it moves more like a machine. 
and it's colossal. A giant shadowy silhouette in the fog takes slow step after step through the valley before us. And whilst the valley is deep, the being nonetheless stands just above our eye line, even after we've scrambled to our feet. But we can't look away. It pushes gradually into view. The being holds the form of an enormous, dark stone horse. Its eyes are spirals carved into the rock, and its feet end in curved and stony blades, slowly rising and falling one after the other as it moves through the valley. Churned up muddy holes in the grass, these side-like hooves leave behind, quickly regrow at such a speed that we can see the grass reclaiming the wounds in real time. Neither of us moves. Neither of us can. We just watch as the great horse steps closer and closer, pushing aside the mist, walking carefully between the multitude of graves, and it passes, silently turning its enormous stone head to look at us as it does so. We stare into those spiral eyes, and the spirals stare back. But the being does not slow. After a moment of what could surely be none other than a mild interest at best, it turns again to look in the way of the direction it's heading. On it goes, and we watch, feeling the rumbles in the ground grow fainter and fainter as it disappears once again into the fog. And the rain falls. Light flashes on the opposite side of the valley, near the top of the long and high hill, brief but definite, a flash of orange-yellow light, like moths were drawn to it. Light, warmth, fire, safety, help. Could be them, Togs murmurs, still in a daze. Maybe they've caught up, found us. Togs, I reply. Even we haven't found us. What chance do they have? True, he says, and we stand in silence for a moment longer, watching. The light flickers again. What the hell was that thing, Rufus? Togs asks quietly, turning to face me. I shake my head. Who can say? All I know for sure is that I feel like we've stumbled onto something we weren't meant to. I don't think we belong here, man. No, he agrees. And did you, did you feel it when it looked at us? Do you feel that wave of cold, of regret? I nod. Dread, I mutter. And Togs nods again. Yeah, dread, that's it. Dread. But that, he points to the flickering light. That ain't dread. That's our way out, Rufus. Our way into a better life. And I do believe that Togs is right. But, but we'll have to go through the valley, I say. We'll have to make it quick. I don't want that thing to come back, whatever it is. I can't be dealing with it coming back. All right, Togs nods and grimaces. I clap my hands together and Togs' arm jerks over. Let's do this, I say. And after a quick but deep breath before I have time to psych myself out, I began to half run, half skid down the west slope of the hill and into the valley. Togs is dragged along with me, but soon finds his balance. Down we go, slipping and skidding. We tumble into a heap at the bottom. Togs actually kept his footing at first, but I fell to the grass, 
and my comrade was dragged down with me. He clambers to his feet and helps me up, and we take in our surroundings. Nothing but grass and graves and mist. The valley seems wider from down here. Quickly but cautiously, we begin to hasten past the gravestones toward the opposite hill. They twist and bulge out at strange angles. Some are simple crosses, and some are far more complex. But the names on these ones are all quite clear, and I'm forced to uh, halt about halfway across as Toggs has chosen to stop to read one. Toggs! I hiss, jerking his arm back via the chain. Let's go, man. I don't want to stick around here. It's her, Rufus. Look. Toggs whispers, his voice raw. I take a step closer beside him and look down at the grave. It is in the shape of a star, like one a child would draw, and connected to the ground. The name is one that we both recognize, of course. What the hell's she doing here, Rufus? How's this possible? I don't... I, I don't know, man. Look, let's just keep going, yeah? The light is... Dog swivels at once and grabs me by the collar. He stares into my face as my hand is jerked up at an awkward angle with the chain. What the hell is she doing here? What is this place, Rufus? Jesus, I don't know, man. I don't know. Let me go. I push him away with the rattle of the chain and Togs runs his free hand through his hair. Then he looks at it. His fingers shake. I wasn't joking earlier, Rufus, he says quietly. About the absolving? About the repentance? Will I ever be free? Truly free, I mean? Or is this my curse, to live like this? Forever? The ground rumbles. Questions for tomorrow, my man. I reply, my pulse quickening. I tug in the chain. Time to go. Now, man. Now! I first set off into a run, dragging togs behind me. But he quickly falls into step. The rumbles grow heavier and we reach the base of the slope. It's steeper this time, but the light still flickers overhead. A little beacon through the mist. We scramble up side by side, dragging out clumps of mud and grass as we clumsily and desperately ascend. I see the shadow of the beast at the edge of my peripheral vision, and it spurs me up faster still. Tugs, come on! I jerk my arm up violently. The bastard is too slow. But the light is close now, and we realize that it's not one but many. Dozens of fireflies flicker as they loop through the air above a stone archway embedded in the hillside. A faint silvery curtain hangs from the stone and obscures the way ahead. I shoot a glance over my shoulder. A colossal stone horror stands silently. Waiting. Watching. Its presence is overbearing. Looking into those spiral eyes, I feel great pressure weighing down upon me. I don't know what this monster wants, but I can't stand it. Dogs has overtaken me. He feels the same way about the horse and about the arch, I can tell. Dread lurks behind and hope lies beyond. Escape. And so, without a second thought... He barrels through, pushing aside the curtain and clambering into the mist ahead. My arm is jerked up behind him, and I scramble after in quick pursuit. But I can't pass. 
My knuckles crack painfully against the curtain as if it were made of rock as I crash into the side with a cry. Togs has vanished from sight completely, and the chain's metal bites painfully into my wrist as he tries to continue. Togs! I shout. Togs! Stop! Damn it! Stop! I can't get through! The side of my face and my shoulder are frozen against the cold stone. I swear, muttering and slamming my fist against the solid curtain. Togs! I jerk my arm back as hard as I can, leveraging my feet against the base of the arch, and Togs is dragged out against his will. The momentum is enough to see us slipping back down the hill, rain-soaked and feverish. The horse stands silently, watching. It's not far away and towers over us. What the hell, Rufus? Tug starts angrily as we crashed, bruised, back to the base. Why did you... You won't let me pass. Didn't you hear me? I can't get through the curtain. I throw my arms around expressively and Tog's grunts with frustration as his arm is thrown around too. He shoves me. What do you mean it ain't letting you pass? You just go through the curtain. I can't, I shout at him, then quieter. I can't. And we stand there for a second, staring at each other at the base of the hill. The drizzle patters down all around against the grass and the wet stone of the curious graves. The enormous horse of the graveyard watches on. Togs licks his teeth. His eyes dart up to the arch, up to the curtain that promises salvation. An escape from the world between us, two unlucky souls, have somehow stumbled onto he means to leave me behind, I realize, with a strike of sudden fury. This bastard, after everything I've done for him, after I stood up for him when no one else would, he's going to leave me behind. But he can't, can he? Because of the chain. Tog's expression changes. He lets out a noise of rage, half grunt, half snarl and he pushes his feet into the ground and yanks back his arm as hard as he can. I stumble and trip over his outstretched foot, but ultimately keep my balance and shove him into the hillside. He shoves back, and I slam my forehead into his own. Asshole, he screams, reeling back in agony. Screw you, I shout into his face, and his brow contorts with rage. He pulls back his fist, the one connected to the chain, my hand is drawn to his neck. I bring the other up, too, and rush forward, roaring with my drive for survival as I shove him to the grass by the graves, strangling the man as hard as I can. Why him? Why is it that he can pass, but I cannot? His eyes bulge in surprise. He chokes and sputters, grabbing and smacking my hands with his own, scratching, then he bares his teeth and reaches up, shoving his thumbs into my eyes. One misses and strikes the edge of the socket with a painful thud, but the other plunges deep into my eye. I reel back in pain, screaming, Go on then, bastard! Kill me! Kill me if you can! Enjoy dragging around my corpse, you dumb prick! Kill me like you killed that little girl! Despair passes like a shadow across his face. It's an accident, Rufus! He shouts, his voice cracked and hoarse, 
as he forces the words through his bruised windpipe. You know it was an accident. His fist connects with my cheek. I feel a tooth loosen in the side of my mouth with a sharp burst of pain. My wrist is smacked across my lip as we stumble and stagger through the valley of graves. He expects me to go down, but I do not. I brace against him and punch into his stomach. The air is forced from his lungs as I grab my comrade's collar and shove him up against the nearest gravestone. Tall, cracked, and moss-covered, it rises like a twisted flower of stone. Then why did you drive away, Togs? Why did you keep driving, drunk off your ass? Imagine if you hit someone else. Do you even remember? Maybe you did. He thrashes and brings a fist up into my chin. He tries to push me away, smacking the sides of his hands into my ears. I keep shouting into his face. You don't deserve to be free. Do you think I even wanted to escape with you? You're a menace, Togs, you dumbass. You're evil. You'll never get salvation. He screams and slams his head into mine over and over until I start to feel dizzy. I release him, clutch my temples, grunting as I'm slammed down hard onto the side of a low gravestone. I admitted what I did was wrong, Rufus. Always. But you're a liar. You ain't never been an innocent man, and you'll burn for what you did. You can't even admit it to yourself. You're weak. Weak, I choke out, fighting his hands away from my neck. You ran down your own ex-daughter because you couldn't handle a breakup like a grown man. And I'm weak? You're the one who's weak, you child killer. The fight goes on. The horse seems to watch with cold curiosity. And eventually, Togs has the chain wrapped around my neck pulls it tight with a foot against my shoulder. Togs! I gasp out, scrabbling my hand around and trying to pull the chain away from his grip. White flashes of light at the edge of my vision. Togs! I slam my hand against the grass, retching and convulsing. Please! And just as I think I'm about to pass out, he releases his grip, and I fall face first into the mud where I lie and gasp spluttering and rolling onto my side, filling my lungs with the thin, wet air of the graveyard. I don't move to strike Tog's back, nor does he move against me. We spend a few minutes recuperating, breathing, blinking, wiping the blood from our brows. And when I finally turn to face him, he's looking up into the eyes of the great horse. It stands completely still, and at this moment, it might as well be nothing more than a colossal statue. I'm sorry, Tugs, I said with my voice erect. Yeah, me too. He replies, I don't know why the curtain doesn't let me pass. Maybe it says something about my character over yours. I don't know. And I'm sorry about what I said to you. I didn't mean it. You were right, though, Rufus, Tugs replied, wiping his eyes and running his fingers through his hair. I am what you said, a child killer. And I don't... His voice breaks. I don't deserve salvation. I press my free hand against my jaw and it throbs painfully. I... Look, come on, Tugs. You said it yourself. It's in the Bible, right? Never too late to be redeemed. 
I don't know if I ever really believed all that, pal, says Tug, sadly. He finally turns to look at me, taking his eyes away from the spirals of the horse. Do me a favor. Come with me to the horse. He lifts his arm, and the chain rattles softly. Droplets sprinkle down to the grass in the moonlight. I stare at him in alarm. Do you want to go closer to that thing? Togs. I don't know what to say. I don't understand his thought process. No, we need to keep moving. Find a way to get me past the curtain. Or or find another way. I don't want to go through the curtain anymore, Rufus. I'm done. I'm just done. He looks behind him at the grave in the shape of the shooting star, the one carved like a child's drawing. Tugs. My voice is quiet. Buddy. Come on, man, please. Just come with me to the horse, Rufus. You still feel the same way about it, don't you? The dread? I get that, and I'm sorry, but I don't. I see now. Come on, pal, walk with me. And after a moment of silence, I rise to my feet, grunting through the pain, and the chain links as we walk to the nearest of the horse's legs. My pulse rises, and I try to keep from looking directly at it. But Tog strides forwards, unafraid. Thanks for helping me out, man. Rufus, he says to me, the rain washing the blood down the side of his face. I hope you get the freedom you deserve one day. I really genuinely do. And he puts a hand on the horse's enormous side-like stone leg. I watch as Togs evaporates as a cloud of dust into the air. With nothing more than a soft sigh, his essence leaves his body, and his flesh dissolves at once like steam. Only his bones are left behind, and they collapse into a pile at the base of the horse's leg. I stare in disbelief as the loose end of the chain drops through the air before bumping against my leg. The bones clatter to join their fellows. Tugs, I whisper, and the horse moves. It raises its leg slowly, and then the other. It turns in a wide circle and mechanically strides away into the fog, fading into shadow, then disappearing altogether in the silver gray. I made it out of the valley eventually, listener. The death of Togs hit me harder than I would have expected, especially given not fifteen minutes earlier I'd felt prepared to kill the man myself. Not that I think I would have done it, however. There's enough blood on my hands. But it took me a long time. To get out, I mean. The sun never rose. The rain never let up. And despite my best efforts, I could not pass the curtain. I just couldn't do it. I searched the valley for hour after hour. I drank the water that condensed on the grass. I climbed the hills and hunted for a sign of escape for days. I was always led back to the valley. It was not until I'd buried Tog's bones that I could pass through the archway in the side of the hill. Beneath the flickering fireflies, I remember turning around one last time, watching as a gravestone grew out of the spot in which I'd buried him. It carved and formed itself into the shape of a little bird about to take flight from its perch upon the branch of a small stone tree. 
and so I left the valley. I escaped. I fled the country as I said I would. I made it to the islands, and I've been here for months now, keeping as low a profile as I can. But there's one thing that remains from my past life. The chain. The damn chain. Empty at one shackle, of course, but still tightly affixed around my wrist on the other. I can't get it off, and I can't get it unlocked, nor can I cut through it no matter what I try to do. And sometimes, I swear, especially at night, it's almost like I can feel someone tugging at the other end. I hope you enjoyed The Graveyard at the Edge of the Mist by author Darkly Gathers, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash darkly. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash D-A-R-K-L-Y. Reddit is his home, but be sure to keep an eye on his work. You never know where it'll pop up next. As a reminder, if you decide to give any of this talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. And be sure to let them know you heard about them here on this program and that Otis Jiry sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure Darkly would very much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel where you'll find my releases of my series Horror Storytime dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, 
a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.